Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. Just to, um, just to get started and introduce, uh, I'm Chris, and this is my wife, Tabitha Lewis, and we um, have been here at Springwell for a couple of years, and uh, I guess at Celebrate Recovery for over six now. Um, this will be our 27th year, or this is our 27th year of marriage, um, and uh, we got three, three kids, uh, grown, grown kids, a couple of grandkids, um, and you may have seen us up here from time to time. If you don't know us, mo- mo- most people know us, if not because they know us, they know us as Topher's mom and dad. So Topher, <laughs> that's... Um... <clears throat> we just want to take a moment um, to address the room and say that we're holding space for you today. Uh, we realize that parts of our story may actually be triggering for you. Um, we see you. We have been praying over you, and may great healing come to you today. I am a very, very grateful daughter of Jesus Christ, and I am walking in victory from the lies and destruction of codependency. My name is Tab. Good morning, and I am a follower of Jesus, uh, smitten by his grace shown to me, and I'm in long-term recovery for dependence on alcohol, depression, and suicidality and the sin of pride. And my name's Chris. So uh, we're going to talk this morning about our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we're going to refer to them through our story primarily as dark idols. To set that up and give it context, uh, we need to talk real quickly about one of Israel's judges named Gideon. So at the time of, of Gideon, Israel had been enjoying about 40 years of peace. But like they were so prone to do, they had turned away from Yahweh and started worshiping false gods and idols. The night that God called Gideon to serve, he did something really interesting that we read in Judges chapter 6. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So when God called Gideon, the very first thing that he had him do was tear down the idol that represented Gideon's false hope. But God went further than that. He didn't just have Gideon remove the false idol. God redeemed it for his glory. He used the wood from the very pole that the idol was made from to build a fire on the altar of worship to Yahweh. That's right. And that's, that's our story. We feel uh, the central theme to our message is, is, is this, that only God can tear down the dark idols from our past and use the remnants as kindling for the fire of worship today. So today, we share with you the hope found in our story where God tore down our dark idols And he's redeemed the pain to be used with purpose for his glory. And this is his story so far through us. 
Um, my childhood was very beautiful. I grew up in a loving home uh, where my needs were provided for and my heart was nurtured toward Christ. I surrendered my heart to the Lord at the age of nine and I remember the breath of heaven falling on me. It brought me such delight and I had a long way to go to becoming in Christ. I was also sexually abused at the age of nine by a trusted family acquaintance in a space that I felt safe in and my family felt comfortable with me being in. At the time, I had no reference for what it meant to be groomed into or for a situation. Today, as I look back into that place and time, it is crystal clear that grooming was taking place for opportunity. My innocence was stolen, and this is the very moment that the seed of codependency was planted in my life. Codependency is a bold untruth. It's a lie that leads you to believe that mentally and physically and emotionally and or spiritually, you are reliant on someone else and that someone else needs you to be that for them too. These patterns are often developed in childhood after trauma, but not always, and they can manifest in any relationship. Did the sexual abuse shape me? Absolutely. Does it define me? Absolutely not. God has healed this broken part of my story, and he has redefined and rebuilt what sexual abuse tried to defect and destroy in my life. I already had an insatiable desire to please others. I leapt toward the belief that everyone was going to like me and be happy with me. And as we all know, that is not our reality. <laughs> we were created to love Jesus and live to lead others toward him with our life, not to ourselves. And as I journeyed through my adolescence and preteen and teen years, I wrestled with this rooted desire to please others and my codependent tendencies gained more and more false character. I often lived at the expense of meeting my needs to meet the needs of others. It was through Chris's idols, his dark idols being revealed, that my dark idol of codependency was revealed. Yeah, my, my story uh, begins with a pleasant childhood, too. Um, and then I met alcohol when I was 14. Most of my other friends did as well, but most of them just experimented. I always seemed to be the one to overindulge. I was also raised in church, but I developed this warped transactional idea of who God is. I saw him as a judge who rewarded those who are good and punishes those who are bad. I actually surrendered to full-time ministry when I was 16 years old, and I became the youth pastor of my home church. At 19. Now, peering behind the curtain of ministry and seeing how the sausage gets made was painful enough. But the very worst part of it for me was the sting of betrayal that I was exposed to at this still impressionable age. I was young, too, too young probably for my role, but I'd been handpicked for the position and promised support and protection by a trusted pastor and a grandfather figure in my life. He turned his back on me, and my world 
shifted on its axis. And my dark idols of bitterness and betrayal were born. C.S. Lewis says that pride is the sin pregnant with all other sins. I mean, after all, if it weren't for pride, the devil wouldn't be the devil, right? Mm -hmm. Well, my pride was definitely in play here. I felt betrayed by the man who represented God in the skin to me, but, but I also felt betrayed by the one he represented. And this is one of the, the big problems with a transactional view of God, believing that he owes you something. Deep down, God, through recovery, has taught me that it was really my pride, somehow shouting, how dare you do this to me because I deserve better than this. So like a petulant child, I left the ministry, I left school at Gardner-Webb University, and I went on a multi-year bender where I partied like a rock star and lived a life of overindulgence and debauchery as I ran as far away from God as fast as I could in, in his calling on my life. And then I met Tab. Innocent, pure, sincere, kind, gentle, smoking hot. <laughs> and she knew me for the man I used to be, and she saw in me the man I could yet become. And she made me want to be a better man, and she still makes me want to be a better man. The night before our wedding, we had a conversation where I gave her the opportunity to back out. You see, in, in my distorted view of God, I lived with a fear that my running away from him had limits, and he would only let me go so far before he said enough and just took my life. So I looked her in the eye, and I said, look, I'm called into ministry. And she said, I, I know. And I said, and I'm not going to do it, and that may have consequences. So I just want you to know what you're getting into. And she looked at me, and she said, we'll see. <laughs> Remember, uh, the breath of heaven had fallen on me, and the Spirit of God was continuing to work in my heart. So I was sure that if God had called Chris to serve him in vocational ministry, then he would compel him to it. I saw Christ in Chris, and I was drawn to him because of this. Chris and I, we married young. Uh, we became parents shortly after we were married. We experienced the loss of two children through miscarriage, and then the beginning of life with our special needs son came to be, all within 20 months of one another. Chris and I leaned into, the, into this part of our journey differently. I was caught up in the reality that my son was born literally with a broken heart and not knowing if God was going to give him ongoing life with our family. And Chris was deeply mourning the death of an expectation through the diagnosis of a disability. Two different worlds collided together for our family, all in one short moment. It took our breath away, and we found ourselves standing at separate ends of the unknown. And this began a journey of unintentional separation in our home as we both blaze our trails of advocating and accepting. It's easier to cope than accept when you can distract. And Chris was able to find a false refuge in his career because it allowed him to travel 
away from the reality he wanted to escape from. And I could codependently care for us all. Eight months into our journey with our amazing son, we gained the news that our third child would enter our family in the new year. It was a real slow dance between fear and delight for me. My mind, body, and emotions had already experienced so much loss in those past few years that my delight took a back seat to the possibility of what God could possibly be up to. But you see, delight, it has an open door when we walk out of our darkness into God's filled hope. I poured myself into my career early in our marriage. My dark idol of pride reasserted itself, and I I started to make the means of providing for my family take priority over my family. And this led us to the brink of divorce when Tab was pregnant with our last child. We had a Holy Spirit encounter when she was around eight months pregnant, where God supernaturally pricked my heart and gave me a glimpse of my selfishness. A few years later, Tab's wise words the night before our wedding, we'll see, came to fruition. I left a successful career, we sold our house, we completely upended our lifestyle financially and began the pursuit of full-time ministry. We started a parachurch ministry doing camps and conferences and itinerant stuff while I finished my education at Liberty University. I'm sure we've all heard the statement, hurting people hurt people. And this was true for me. It was true for me in ministry. Those seeds of betrayal and bitterness that were planted had not been killed, and ministry is a varsity-level sport emotionally. I wounded others out of my own pain that hadn't been dealt with. I would see my own fear of being hurt cause me to self-protect in ways with, with preemptive strikes and dealing with my emotional pain and triggers through the increased use of alcohol and other substances. Now, I was not a binge drinker, um, but, a, but a buzz drinker. I was seeking always to soothe nerves and numb emotions. Believe it or not, we planted a church during this season. There were at least a couple of instances where we experienced deep betrayal again. Um, There's not time to cover the depth of these situations, but they were significant, and they impacted me, uh, our family, uh, and our church in huge ways. Here's the thing about trauma. Trauma of any kind that's not dealt with in a healing way causes re-traumatization, and that, that triggers an individual to spiral into further unhealthy behavior, and that's what was going on with me. We ultimately closed the doors of the church and rolled those assets into a new church plant that my brother-in-law had started. Again, dark idols will continue to loom in the shadows until they're burned on the altar of God. Mine had not yet been. The death of the church was a particularly harsh blow, and I was wounded deeply. I should have taken time to reflect and steady myself, even perhaps allowed God to do some healing. But I didn't. I immediately became one of the pastoral leaders in the new church plant, and my abuse of alcohol turned into full-blown addiction. I was becoming an aggressive, angry, bitter, and broken version of myself. 
This wasn't what everyone else saw, but it was there, and it's messy. You know, emotional compartmentalization, when you try to keep it all inside, that kind of behavior when there are unresolved issues is kind of like having a no-peeing section in the pool. Like, you're just not going to contain it. And I hurt people. I was operating out of a fear-based mindset. My anxiety and depression deepened. This is the first time I remember having suicidal thoughts. I tried to get some help. I saw a doctor for medicine. In October of 2014, the alcohol in my system mixed with the cocktail of meds I was on, and they combined in a way where I was visibly impaired as I led a small group Bible study one evening. And this led to a very public resignation. And for the first time, people were actually aware that there was something going on with me. This time, though, my shame was spread to my family. Guilt can be a gateway to grace, but when it's not been surrendered to the power of the gospel, it only leads to shame. And my dark idols were turning shame into a killer. I battled in my sickness for more than a year, I was trying my own version of making amends, but I was in full-blown physical dependence on alcohol. Consuming a liter and a half every day to day and a half meant that withdrawal symptoms would come up real quickly. Cold sweats and anxiety-driven nightmares would wake me up in the middle of the night and I would have to sneak from one of the many flasks I kept hidden from my family. My depression sunk deeper and deeper. I began to visualize my exit strategy. I made videos for those I was going to leave behind. And finally, convinced that everyone would be better off without me, February 21st, 2016, I got in my car with a loaded gun and headed toward my final escape. I will never forget the call that I made to Chris that Sunday afternoon. Only God could have given him the ability to answer. What I remember in every detail, Chris cannot. And I look back on that day, and I would do a million things differently to greater protect my children and in my flesh to have never even arrived at this point. But God, even in the midst of our despair, has held us in the shelter of his hands. God literally stopped time and created space for me to get to Chris before he could accomplish what the lies of his dark idols were ruthlessly trying to swallow him up in. In that moment, what I was staring in the face of was the face of pure evil. It was darkness viciously fighting for our hope in God for a breakthrough. The very source, alcohol, that Chris sought to comfort him away from his discomfort was the very thing that God used to disable his ability to accomplish it. God is the hero. God was the rescue. He allowed me to walk away with my husband instead of without him. When we walked off of that bridge that late Sunday afternoon, Chris had an abandoned surrender that I had never seen before. 
It was an undone end of yourself surrender that makes me tremble at the holy thought of God's hand over his story. It was emotionally tragic for me. It was a divine rescue for Chris. The dark idols of his heart began to crumble and God began began to carry our family on a journey. If I am honest, which I desire to be with you today, it was hard. Every member of our family was deeply scarred and everyone has taken their own journey of healing. But healing comes in waves and one person's healing is not dictated by another's. We can be okay even when someone else is still working toward their okay. We can be okay even when they are not. Total surrender. That's what it takes. And God, he scooped Chris up and raised him above the pit of his dark idols, and he quickly became the healthiest person in our family instead of the sickest. So my codependent tendencies couldn't hide or keep on ticking like it was anymore. Our home was hurting. Healing was roaring. Heaven was fighting. And our master was calling, longing to come to us with his healing wisdom like spring rain that waters the earth. In Hosea 6.3, it says, Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. And, and slowly and tenderly and graciously and pointedly and wholly, our Father, our great and mighty God began to pour out his healing and restorative power over our individual lives, our marriage, and our family. And so once we surrendered to his will, then our will became undone. Yeah, at, at my rock bottom, I was, I was in a fix. I had to medically detox from alcohol at a facility. But the very next thing I did was something that everybody in this room is going to have the opportunity to do shortly. I picked up a surrender chip, a blue chip. I, I used a bunch of resources. At that time, I had pastoral counseling and professional counseling and intensive outpatient program and that, that kind of stuff. But my greatest source of encouragement and hope was found inside the walls of Celebrate Recovery right here at Springwell Church. I, I am so thankful for this ministry for, what, 12 years ago now? Somebody, somebody saying, let's go and let's do this. I love that for our church, it's not a program, it's not an additional thing that we do, but it's part of who we are. Um, and I didn't know anybody. I just saw the sign out there at the road. That's it. I saw this. Don't take the sign down because it was. I, I passed the sign. And Dan Elmore, thank you for... <clears throat> Thank you for listening to me that night. At CR, I went to uh, the small groups after the large group gathering. I listened to other people's testimonies of grace and some ongoing struggles. And I began to realize that I wasn't alone. And I, I, I learned some things in that journey. I learned that, that my dark idols afflicted everybody. 
It's just the manifestations were different. We're all broken. We're all struggling. I learned the good news, uh, that the good news of the gospel isn't just good news for eternity alone, but that there's hope and healing available today, right now. I, I learned through working a step study with six other brothers the eternal beauty, but also the practical benefit of gospel community. What happens when we confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed? My healing was gradual. My growth is ongoing. My transformation, spirit-led and spirit-sealed. See, my dependence on alcohol was a symptom of an underlying sin problem. And that affects everybody in here. Today, I continue my journey of grace and healing through daily time with Jesus and continuing to address issues as they come up and they do come up. I confess my struggles to a, to a trusted circle of accountability and even speak openly about some of our stuff in, in growth group. Sharing my story with others so that it might encourage someone else that you're not alone is another huge part of my ongoing journey. I attended CR for the first time when Chris graduated from his step study. And with a pure heart, I wanted to celebrate what God had done in the depths of his soul. Uh, this kind of healing is radically contagious. When you watch someone, especially someone that you love and adore, dance in holy freedom, you take a seat and you lead in and you pay attention. I wanted... I wasn't naive to my own hurts, but I wasn't looking to myself. I was codependently looking to love and help him toward his healing. But God drew me into this community that night, and a few short weeks later, I took the steps to take a surrender chip, a blue chip, into my hand, and to surrender to his will for my own healing and to say yes to this community that he was opening a door to. This was a declaration of my acknowledgement that the same breath of heaven that fell on me when I was nine years old was the same breath of heaven saying, hold on, I'm going to continue to heal you and strengthen you and make you whole again. So I joined a step study and gained a family that will walk hand in hand with me all the way home. I heard this quote once, the function of freedom is to free someone else. And not only do hurt people hurt people, but healed people lead others to the healer for their healing. So today, Chris and I share a depth of freedom in our love and joy for Jesus, one another and our family. And we are confident of this, that apart from open-handed surrender to the healing power of Jesus, all of the destruction and pain and suffering and sorrow and disappointment and sadness of our dark idols would have swallowed us whole. And we would be telling you a different story today. We are still on this journey you choose to begin this journey knowing that its completion will be when you stand face-to-face -face with Jesus. 
Romans 8.39 reminds us that no power in the sky above or the earth below indeed, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I invite you today, come home to Jesus today. Come home to where you belong. Come home to where everything comes back together again, where your heart can lean back into his arms and the walls you've built will begin to fall down. Open your hands and surrender to him and give him your pain. Lean in and let him respond to your circumstance and bring his freedom and healing to your pain and disappointments. Come home to your healing today. We started um, with the thought that only God can tear down our dark idols and use those remnants as kindling for the fire of worship in our lives today. We feel like that's our story. This is a fraction. This doesn't even scratch the surface. Um, but he's shown us so much and his grace has been so good to us. We've learned along this way how God can turn broken things into beautiful things. We've learned that he gives our pain purpose. It's not for nothing. We've learned what it looks like when he renews a mind because we think differently about our past. He restores joy. He breaks the chains of our bondage and sets us free to run. Make no mistake, I'm, I'm not proud of my journey, but I'm not ashamed either. What used to cause me great shame now points me towards a great God. It's a risk when you share your story like this. What, 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 what will people say? What are they going to think? How, how, how will they respond? A, a bigger risk than how this may affect how you view us or any of that, the biggest risk from today is not those things. The biggest risk is thinking mistakenly that this is only for other people or this is hope and help and healing for somebody else don't miss this opportunity what he's done for us he'll do for you if you'll let him thank you for thank letting you for us letting share, us share.